0: Hallelujah. Welcome back to Sisterhood, everybody. Aren't you glad to be here? Ah, And we want to welcome all of our campuses, all of our sisters. We're so blessed to be part of River Valley Church and have multiple campuses and locations. So we welcome you to join and just be, are you hungry today for the word of God? I hope that you came hungry. (laughs) As Jen just said, our identity is what we are going to study this semester, our identity in Jesus Christ. Because beyond our national heritage or our genetic tendencies or even our birth order, we need to, as Christians, look to the Bible as our source of who we really, really are. God's truth is truth, period. Amen? And the more that we see his truth, the more that we let it settle into our hearts and transform our minds, the more our lives then will reflect his glory. Psalm 119 says that God's word can revive and strengthen us. Think about that. God's word can revive and strengthen us. Are you ready to be revived and strengthened for the next several weeks? Does that not sound awesome? I know I want to be revived and strengthened, so I believe we're all in the right place to have that happen. Today's lesson is entitled, I Am Greatly Loved. Say that I am greatly loved. No matter how you feel today, or no matter what someone said to you yesterday, or even what you did three months ago, the truth is the truth. You are greatly loved. All right? No matter if you are a brand new Christian or if you've been walking with Jesus for much of your life, it doesn't matter. I believe with all of my heart that the revelation that you are loved is foundational. It is essential to everything else that you will learn about your walk as a Christian. So please don't ever, ever have that I'm good where the love of God is concerned attitude. Don't ever, oh yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so. Yeah, I heard that. Don't ever, ever, and be be weary, or be, I guess not be weary, but be leery of that attitude, trying to come into your mindset. You're called to a revelation of his love. And once we've received that, then we can be those who give his love to others. Amen? One of Paul's greatest prayers comes out of the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know, that's talking about experiencing the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It's not about understanding intellectually. It's about experiencing his love so that you can be filled with the fullness of God. You want to be filled with the fullness of God? Okay do you want to be filled with the fullness of God? Yes. Yes. So let's lay hold of his love this this day. All right. So there are certain words that grab our attention. You know, they kind of add that pop to a sentence. They kind of cause you to read the sentence again. And in 1 John, we see that very word behold. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, behold, say "Behold." behold. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. I looked in my dictionary to read about that word, behold. It means to gaze at or to look upon. It, it's often used as an interjection. it said with exclamatory force. I take that to mean that the love of God is something to be exclaimed. Behold. Behold. Hallelujah. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That we can be called children of God. Wow. That word called is an important word also. It means to invite or to summon. And it's especially used of God's call to participate in the blessings of the kingdom. John could have written it this way. Gaze at this, people. Don't miss this. The love that the Father has for you, that very love, it invites us, it summons us, it brings us in to be called and known as his children and to receive the blessings of his kingdom. Ooh, let's purpose to grab hold of this today. My pages are sticky. As we begin, I want to emphasize again that God calls us, he calls us his children, I mean, he actually identifies us. Put your hand on your heart. Include yourself. He identifies us as being his kids. Have you ever been that mom? (laughs) I have. You know that mom who at the basketball game, when her son makes a shot, she's hooting and hollering and clapping and stomping her feet and cheering and just so overjoyed and saying, that's my boy. Maybe not out loud, but at least on the inside, you know. I put before you today that that's how God looks at you. That's my girl. There she is. That's my daughter. I'm her dad. And it's not about whether you've just made a bunch of three pointers, or if you've baked the cake just right, or if only kind words have come out of your mouth at your children. No, it doesn't matter what you do, it's His condition to say, She's mine. She is my daughter. In the movie Woodlawn, we learn the story of a man named Tony Nathan in the 1970s. The story took place in Birmingham, Alabama. And he was an African American and had an awesome athletic ability and decided to courageously use that on the football field. But there was a difficult season in Birmingham and in much of the country because there was a lot of racial tensions between whites and blacks. His family understood about the love of God, and they decided and purposed to let his love fuel them through all the difficulties in life. Eventually, it's just the greatest story. The whole team puts their trust in Jesus Christ and determines to live and to play for the love of God. Amazing things happen in the whole, throughout the whole season. In their conference, they end up succeeding and just end up at the championship game. And we see Tony in the locker room, and he's pacing nervously. They're in this huge stadium, the 40,000 people have turned out to see a high school championship football game. Yeah, wow. So you can imagine his nervousness. Well, at just the right moment, his father comes into the locker room and asks the coach for a word with his son. And, And in a moment then, when he could have lectured Tony about the right technique... Or exhorted him to give 100%, or even to say something like, "You know, because of you, racial tensions are being uh, depleted, being diminished. You have you have this on your shoulders to make a difference and make a change in our community and in this whole southern part of the U.S. Whatever." He could have said all sorts of things in that moment. Did you know what the father said to him? He looked eye to eye, and he said, "Tony, I'm proud of you, son. No matter win or lose." You will always be my son. It was such a powerful moment in that that moment in the movie. The father declared his love for his son. Wow. I would like you to hear today the Heavenly Father declare his heart for you. Sisterhood, behold, say behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you that you should be called children, daughters of God. And you know what? Before you were his daughter, you were his idea. He had dreams for you, plans, blueprints, so to say, intentions. In Psalm 139, eight, uh, excuse me, verse 16 in the Amplified, it says, "'Your eyes,' meaning God's eyes, saw my unformed substance. And in your book, all the days of my life were written before ever they took shape when as yet there was none of them. He saw you before you could be seen. Your days were mapped out on the calendar before you breathed your first breath. Think about that. He knew you before he made you. <clears throat> I want to think for a couple minutes and introduce this, this idea. Let's consider people who have invented things. God's an inventor, if you will, of each one of us, the master designer. Let's think about men who have invented things. Henry Ford invented the car, the automobile, yes. Alexander Graham Bell is credited for his telephone, right? The Wright brothers made the airplane. Does anyone know who Oliver Evans is? What did he make? The refrigerator. Aren't you glad for Oliver Evans? Praise the Lord. And most historians would credit Charles Babbage, with the washing machine. woo hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for the washing machine and Charles Babbage. Because I think of all of those things That's my favorite item. When you've got kids, you need your washing machine, amen? Oh, my, 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 my. So anyway, but I wanna just think about their hearts and their minds. What was it that made them so intent on creating these items? Was it a random series of events that led them to these inventions? I mean, did Henry Ford just accidentally come upon the hundreds of items that he needed to put together an automobile and then stand back and say, hmm, maybe this would keep food cold? No, of course not. He had a purpose in mind first. He wanted to create something that would get people from place to place swiftly and safely. Amen? And then he created the car. Same idea. Think about the inventor of that washing machine. I mean, did he gather the parts and dream about them and try and try and then put it all together and stand back and say, now, what should I use this for? That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. In fact, I would imagine that he had that purpose. I want to I create something that will do the work for us. I want to create something that will have an agitator, a spin, a spin. I want to have, you know, on and on, all of the processes that were necessary to come up with a washing machine. He wasn't willing to put it on a shelf and to not see it fulfilled. And I would imagine, and of course I don't know this for certain, I've just been speculating, but I would imagine that when he saw it do what he intended it to do, he had the greatest joy ever. I mean... Hallelujah. It works. It's doing what I made it to do. And I have to think that the Father God, when he sees us operating as he's designed us to operate, in freedom and in joy and in peace and aware of his love, that he is all, all overjoyed, all excited, thrilled to see us functioning that way. Amen? Ladies, we are his masterpieces. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. A masterpiece in the dictionary is an outstanding work of art. It is the greatest work of an artist or a craftsman. In the New King James Version, the word is workmanship, and the Greek word there is poema. That's where we get our word poem, or poetry. We are God's masterpiece, his poem, his work of art. You know, artists don't just slap their paint on a canvas, and God did not just slap you together either. He had purpose in mind, a blueprint, a special design for each one of you. Artists pour their work sorry, their hearts, into their work. God poured his heart into each and every one of you. Amen? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we might be called children of God. I want to spend a few minutes talking about a well-known piece of art. And I have a slide here, and you'll recognize my friend. Yeah, everybody recognize her? This is, of course, the Mona Lisa. I want to give you some background about this painting. In 1503, there was a Florentine merchant named Francesco del Giocondo, and he commissioned Leonardo da Vinci to paint his wife, who is Lisa, Gherardini. Da Vinci worked on this painting between 1503 and 1506, but some historians would say, no, actually, he continued to refine her until 1517. So whether he worked on this painting for three years, which is a long time, or 14 years, either way, imagine him every day pouring his heart and soul, tending into this painting over and over, day upon day. Curiously, the painting was never given to those who commissioned it to be done. It actually ended up in the collection of the French King Francois I. And many hundreds, several hundred years later, In 1804, the Mona Lisa became one of the very first works to hang in the Louvre Museum in Paris. And she soon became very celebrated. She's been on display in Tokyo, in Moscow, in New York City. And while in the museum at New York City, there was an estimated 1.7 million people who walked past her for 20-second glance. Mm-hmm. I can testify that when she was, I was in Paris and saw her hanging on the wall at the Louvre there was a crowd of people. I mean more people than we are in this room trying to vie over one another's shoulders for a quick, a quick peek at the Mona Lisa. In 2014 there were 9.3 million visitors to the Louvre and curators there would say that 80% of them, 80% of 9.3 million people came to see her. You ready for this? She has an estimated value of $782 million. Okay, really, I should hear a, whoa, something. (laughs) That's a lot of money. And that would make her then $782 million deemed the most valued painting in the world. Truly, the Mona Lisa was Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece. By natural measure, she is his greatest work. But what I find incredibly interesting, and really quite a pity, is this. By the mid-1500s, both the artist and the subject were deceased, which means that Lisa Gherardini, the very subject of the infamous Mona Lisa, never knew, she had no idea that she was Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece. No idea. And I think about that for a moment and wonder if she had known that she was a masterpiece, by worldly standards even, would she have walked into a room differently? Would she have been able to hold her head high when her husband said something unkind to her or the neighbors gossiped about her? on a bad day. I believe she would have, knowing that she was a masterpiece. Of course, the Mona Lisa and other pieces of celebrated artwork, they're deemed masterpieces according to earthly natural standards, right? According to how much money they're worth or which museum they're they're blessed to hang upon, so to say. Men speak of value in terms of all that. Finances, popularity, it's as good as the world has it. But how much more amazing is it for you and me to consider being valuable in God's economy. Who cares about a million dollars when we can be deemed valuable in the economy of almighty God? Amen? We live in this world, yes, but we are not of this world. Ours is a heavenly kingdom, and so we have heavenly worth. Sisterhood, hear this. Your heavenly Father calls you. Say, that's me. Come on, say, that's me. He calls you his masterpiece. Say that. I am his masterpiece. That's the truth. Hallelujah. Bible says in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, for you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. That word marvelous in the Hebrew is pala. It means to perform a miracle a marvel, a wonder, or a supernatural deed. Consider nine months before your birth date, the day that you were born, when the sperm cell met the egg cell. And then consider four weeks later when God fashioned your nervous system and put it in your spinal cord and gave you a heart and lungs and how four weeks later he fashioned your face And made your nose your nose. Wow! Praise the Lord. At the 12th week, God was giving you your smile. And He was actually putting the creases on your fingerprints, making them uniquely yours. Not to mention your sense of humor, your sense of curiosity, the giggle that you have that is unique to you, the way that you problem solve, your creativity. All of it uniquely fashioned by the master designer. Ladies, you are his miracle. You are his supernatural deed. Oh my goodness, and how he loves you. He always has since forever. And he always will until always. Think of it. In Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, the Lord has said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Paintings aren't everlasting. Museum halls are not everlasting. No, but God's love for you is. In Song of Solomon 2.4, it says, his banner over me was love. I want you to imagine your creator. I want you to imagine him hoisting up a banner over you, a banner that declares his everlasting love over you, over you, all day long. You walk around. I love to picture that. I'm walking around with a banner of love over me, and it sits over me when I'm in the car driving from here to there, and when I'm washing the kitchen dishes, and when I'm, excuse me, I'm at the recital or the ball game. His banner over me is love, always, always, always. The master artist flung a banner of everlasting love over each one of us, and he desires for us to be kept right there. Think of this. Most artists, when they make their artwork, they get rid of it. They sell it, right? They might hang it in a museum or put it on a display at an art show or something. But see, God says, no, 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 I fashioned you, and my intention is to keep you right close by. I want to have fellowship with you now. I want to bless you. I want to be in relationship with you. And yet while his desire is to keep you under the banner of his love, he's given you free will. And you get to choose whether to remain under the banner of his love and to have relationship with him. He went to great lengths to gain your heart so that you would choose to remain always fastened securely under that banner. Romans 5, 6, and 8 When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't right with God when Christ died for us. It was his blood that gives us opportunity to be made right with him. He went first. He died to erase that chasm, that blockade that was separating us from him. Amen? He initiated. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. I think about him initiating, and I can't help but think of when Keith and I were falling in love. He's my husband now of 25 years. Hallelujah. love Keith. But back in the day, in college, and he was wooing me, and he was letting me wear his letter jacket to stay warm on campus. And he was decorating my room on sweetest day. And he was sending me snail mail love letters and all of the things that he was doing to woo me, right? He could have done that for any girl. And he chose me. And I was so blessed to be his chosen. But let me tell you, as great as that is, to be chosen by a man on this planet, there is nothing so awesome as to have the revelation that we've been chosen by almighty God. Almighty God, wow. Listen to Jesus' love for you. John 15, 16, Jesus said this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. Hear him say this to you today. I chose you. We are part of his chosen and special people in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 9 says you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. He's saying there, I just want you to come into my presence like the priests of old did. He says, you are a holy nation. I've made you holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, you are my special people. I fashioned you and designed you. Why? So that you can proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We know this is an election year, yes? 2016. And you and I will not be elected president. Yes? <laughs> At least as far as I know. But did you know that the Bible refers to you as being the elect of God? You have a title. It says in Colossians 3:12, "Therefore, as the elect of God, say that's me, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering." You have a title. You are elect by God for what special services. He's created you to fulfill special callings, special privileges, ultimately to know Him, to be calling Him Daddy, to have Him at your side 24-7. He blesses you with peace and security in the midst of trial. He blesses you with forgiveness that's only found in Him. He blesses you with freedom, with joy, wholeness, health, in the book of Romans 1:7, it says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God. Saints is a common term in the New Testament. It just basically means holy people. The point is, you are his. He's made you holy. You're beloved. You are called his. You've been set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been bought at a price. You are greatly loved. Amen? I pray that you've been revived in hearing your Heavenly Father declare His love for you today and that you have been strengthened to recognize that you indeed are His masterpiece. He's not not a maker of mistakes. He's a maker of the masterpiece. And I pray that knowing this, you'll live differently. That you'd hold your head higher and embrace the day before you, knowing to whom you belong. It occurs to me that some of you are new here. I don't recognize all of your faces. So blessed that we have new friends joining us. But perhaps this is the first time that anybody has ever really presented to you the truth of the love of God. The master designer's love for you. And if you've not ever been in relationship with him before, I want to pause and, and make this opportunity available to you. This is imperative, as I said at the beginning, a revelation of God's love and to receive his love for you in the name of Jesus. He's paid for your sins. He's removed that separation between you and the Father. So I would just like, um, if we can, just to end with a prayer of salvation and if, if you've never done this before, I want you to talk to your table leader and I want your, and your group and just share that that prayer meant something to me for the very first time today. And they will rejoice with you at your decision. So um, pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Today, I declare my need for you. Forgive me, Father, of my sins. I thank you for accepting me into your family. Wash me clean. I receive your love today, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sisterhood, behold, behold, you are greatly loved. Amen. Amen. Amen.